Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. We're now in season five with over 2,000 videos that are viewed and heard around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very, very accomplished professional from India, Mr. Sunil Malhotra. Sunil, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, uh, Ashutosh, uh, for having me. Thank you. Sunil is uh, the founder and CEO of Idea Farms. He's an author of a book titled The First Principle. So, Sunil, when I was reading about you, you refer to yourself as a nowhere guy. Help me understand this with an example. Uh, obviously, this nowhere guy on my LinkedIn profile in my bio is working mm -hmm. because it, it catches everybody's attention. Correct. Uh, so first first of all, I, I shouldn't take the entire credit for this, but uh, probably I'm the only one who calls himself the nowhere guy. Mm -hmm. But... <clears throat> I don't remember exactly when, but many years ago, I found this very interesting thing about nowhere. Mm -hmm. Nowhere could be nowhere as in not somewhere. Mm -hmm. And nowhere, when you give a space between uh, now and here, becomes present now here. Mm. And I found that very, very attractive. Amazing. You know, because I felt, I felt that that was very interesting because when you start out on something, you are actually nowhere. You want to get somewhere. Correct. Right? So, so many times people ask, you know, where is the opportunity? And it's very easy for us to gloss over it and say nowhere. Mm. Right. But imagine if you said the opportunity is now here, mm. like we are doing today. Mm. So that, so there is no example for it. It's just, I mean, it's working. So people Correct. find it fascinating and they talk about it. Correct. No, that's, you know, I, now that you point it out, uh, now here is such an amazing interpretation of nowhere. Fantastic. Yes, it is. And uh, Sunil, you also state India will define the future of the world. You know, a lot of people have said this is India's century and so on and so forth. And I'm a great believer in it myself. Tell me a little bit more about your thinking when you make this uh, statement. I first wrote about this, I think it was in 1995 or something. At the, at the time that the internet had just become... Uh, just entered the market, right? And in India, I mean, I think it was there in the US in the yeah. late 80s as well. But in India, uh, BSNL came up with this, the internet first dial-up connection in 95. Mm -hmm. And I was invited, uh, strangely, by the 1 to 10 of industrial design those days, a company called Frog Design. Mm -hmm. For some reason, they invited me to write an article in their in-house magazine mm. called Rana. And that's the first time I wrote uh, an article which is titled Godmen and GUIs. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so basically the whole, um, so the point of that article was very simple. The point of the article was that why the separation between the West and the East? Mm -hmm. What if there was a partnership, mm -hmm. right? That was the point of the article. It was a short article about two, three hundred words or something. Mm. So since then, I've been kind of thinking about it and writing very often that India will define the world from the perspective mostly that, I mean, this may sound a little bit uh, cliched or whatever it is, but mm. I've always felt that uh, we are a very downplayed culture. Mm. We don't talk about ourselves that much. Correct. Right? 
and we've got a uh, so much of information that goes back i don't even know how many thousands of years mm -hmm. for example if you look at uh, the scriptures you look at yeah. the vedas you look at any of those right and so when we started idea farms that was the time i became really uh, you know i was very emphatic about it that india would de define uh, the world basically mm -hmm. from the perspective of gaining or regaining right our position of thought leadership mm -hmm. across every area of society and this doesn't mean from an exclusive it's not like i never i've never thought of um, leadership as being something that is a zero sum game Mm. It isn't that if India becomes the thought leader of the world, somebody else loses. Mm. It's basically that all of us can win, provided all of us respect the, what we bring to the table. So there's a lot of complementarity there. Right. So, so in that sense, so what has happened is that it's very strange that you ask me this question because it's quite uh, topical at this point and yeah. uh, relevant to my life. Because I've been writing for the last two years, I've just submitted a manuscript of a book called Yoga and AI. Mm -hmm. which is where I've kind of tried to bring both these disciplines together, less from a dystopian uh, uh, viewpoint or from an enslaving. The humans will enslave AI, but to say that can we work together with this? Mm. So you are finding many of those conversations actually now bubbling up. And the recent visit of uh, uh, our Prime Minister Narendra Modi, Correct. you can see that everybody is talking about, you know, how can we have India as a partner? Maybe that's a very political thing. I will not get into that. Absolutely. But the fact is that we are at a position right now. So some, mm. in some sense, I think this uh, conviction has been vindicated mm. in the last few weeks. Well said, well said. So Sri, now let's talk a little bit about Idea Farms. Tell me a little bit about what was your concept when you started this and what are you doing now there? So let me let me put this into two or three buckets. Sure. One is from purely from the business standpoint, right? My education is in industrial design. I went to IIT Bombay, IDC Industrial Design Center, my alma mater. I give a lot of my, who I am today, to this book that I wrote, the first principle, which was about regional engineering college principal, uh, Professor Mani Sundaram. Mm -hmm. And where I had a lot of fun, basically, if you read the book, that's what you'll find. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the actual education that I went through from a professional standpoint was at industrial design. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty frustrated uh, through my the first 15 years of design. I came, I decided not to leave the country because I felt that India needed design and India was really tuned because we had everything from interdisciplinarity to diversity, all the things that actually made right. design what it was, right? Mm. So I said, let me stay in India because, you know, this is a great place where I can experiment and actually provide value. Mm. But I found that it was very difficult. You know, you, if you remember those days, I'm talking about the early, uh, mid to early 80s, right? Correct. Wasn't the most friendly for an entrepreneur and least of all for a design entrepreneur. Mm. So I think there was a combination of craziness and ma uh, being a maverick and I, uh, I would call it being an idealist or whatever it was that got me to stay here and I was very disappointed at the end of about 10 years of 15 years of practice I wanted to run away mm. and then the internet happened and when I looked at that I realized that you know the best place actually uh, to apply industrial design was software because software is much more forgiving than hardware items that you're designing. Mm. And I'd al also gained enough experience to become a strategic designer rather than someone who was working with his hands and trying mm. to, you know, mm. do the whole nine yards. But what really struck me was that, you know, two things. 
one ideas are a dime a dozen mm -hmm. right what is missing for those ideas is a proper paradigm of farming those ideas farming right. means can you if, if if you think of an idea as a seed hmm. then then that seed can grow wild in the forest or you can actually nurture it and grow it hmm. so that was the metaphor that was there in my mind sure. and i said sure. well if the idea comes from the company or the client company, which is where, where where it's best coming from, because those are the people who really know the business, they know the market, they know all of that. Right. But if you had somebody who could help farm those ideas. Hmm. And so, so that was the philosophical part. But the actual part was that, okay, can we actually start a company that brings industrial design approaches to IT and software? Because mm -hmm. IT was starting to grow at that time. If you remember, right. you know, the Y2K had happened. Correct. So I said, this is a brilliant time to actually bring in industrial design uh, philosophies and approaches mm -hmm. to the technology field because it's being driven so much by function that every other aspect like usability, mm -hmm. ergonomics, uh, aesthetics, all those are kind of relegated to a secondary role. Mm -hmm. So that's what Idea Farms did. We said, we let's start a company called Idea Farms to bring industrial design to IT. Hmm. And as a result, what ended up happening was we again found ourselves in the wrong market. Hmm. And therefore, we decided that we would do our entire business overseas. So hmm. Our first clients were out of Europe. Mm -hmm. And we never had a client in India, basically, till we started design thinking. Hmm. We've always been an export-oriented uh, enterprise. Amazing. Amazing. And, uh, you know, thank you for sharing your amazing journey. But what would you say is your approach to design and how are you different from uh, so many others in India? First of all, it's not important to be different because there's enough for everybody, right? Absolutely. And so I don't believe that much in uh, doubting differentiation as much as I doubt uh, providing value. Sure. So one of the things, one of the things that I've I've always said within the company, outside, and every time I get an opportunity like today, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. Thank you. I, I've talked, I've been saying that, you know, design education across the world is completely done upside down. Mm -hmm. Because it is basically to subserve the needs of industry. That's why it's called industrial design, right? So mm -hmm. almost all design actually goes in there, like any other service provider. As a result, uh, what ends up happening is that you, instead of creating the kind of impact that you can through design, what you end up doing is you you end up doing stuff that the client wants you to do for a profit motive, mm. right? And and uh, the reason the client actually brings designers in mm. is because after the profit motive has already been decided that, yes, we will make profit out of it. Mm. That's the time that they say, hey, you know what? Let's make it human-centric. Human so people come next, mm. right? And nobody thinks about the planet. Mm. So my my paradigm now is that invert the whole thing. Start with planet, especially from a design standpoint. Mm. Designers are the guys that also I belong to it, so it may sound like a plug or whatever it is, but the fact is that, you know, people like us get drawn to a field like design mm. for the chaos that it has, right? Mm. Most people go towards a, a, a field because they, it has structure. Right. We go there because we get drawn to it for the chaos. Mm. We get drawn to that because it's no structure whatsoever mm. we get drawn to it because we can straddle multiple disciplines right mm. Mm. as a result i also uh, uh, one of the things that leads out the segue from this is that i believe that everything that's wrong or right in the world today mm. is is because of something that a designer did or did not do mm. right 
because they are the kind of orchestrator. So I've been tweeting and writing on um, uh, LinkedIn as well, saying that the design role is basically one of orchestration, right? And then delivery. Mm. Unfortunately, we've got too much of the base of the pyramid of the delivery side of it, and the, there's a vacuum at the top. So I think once that starts happening, then these two will get resolved very nicely. Right. So my approach is basically that let's talk about the philosophy of design. Mm -hmm. Figure out if through design you want to make a difference to uh, humans, mm -hmm. keeping in mind the, uh, the planetary consequences, mm -hmm. and then think of the profit. So let me tell you something very interesting. Very early, I think it was in the early 90s, there was a, uh, an article which uh, one of these magazines those days, I think it was Spectrum, they did on me. Mm -hmm. And uh, they called they called uh, my, uh, they titled mine as the conscious designer, right? And uh, how they started that article was very interesting. The way Sunil talks about his design journey Mm -hmm. is that I design for the not for the client, but for the client's customer, mm -hmm. because I think of the client as a middleman. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking about very early in my journey right. of giving that position to the client. And that's mm -hmm. what I've done continuously through Idea Farms. Mm -hmm. That's what I've done in the design thinking uh, journey that I've, the way we've talked to uh, new customers, mm -hmm. saying it's not about you. Right. It's about what you give into the world that you should be focusing on. And it's our responsibility as service providers to help you do that. Mm. Fascinating. And, you know, you have a very vast portfolio of designs across multiple products. How do you handle so much diversity in design? I think what I said earlier is actually answered that question, but I'll nevertheless attempt it. Mm -hmm. See, one of the things that is a big problem in in uh, uh, with leadership is that leadership, the more experience it has or people have, mm -hmm. the more they think they know. Mm -hmm. Which means that all the portfolio, the portfolio items of Idea Farm should come from Sunil or from his management team. Mm -hmm. We inverted that model when we started up. Mm -hmm. What we told people was, you figure out what you feel like doing and we'll enable you to do those. Mm -hmm. So as a result, most of these these solutions that you see on Idea Farms, which is by the way, it's it's uh, part of the legacy of Idea Farms because we don't do that much of that kind of stuff anymore, mm -hmm. not as a traditional in the traditional mold. But I would not take credit for maybe I would not take credit for any of the products you see there. They were all done by employees. Mm -hmm. They were all identified by employees. They were fascinated about it. They said, let's do something like this. The moment that came out, then we said, okay, you if you are too young and too uh, you know, inexperienced, we'll give you somebody to help you with this. Mm. But you directly go to the client and sell it to the client. Mm. And if so, basically, whether he, he actually this person actually went and spoke to the client or front ended it or not is not consequential. Mm. Uh, let's say the person thought of me as the client. Mm. And if we all believe that this was worth doing, then I would take their, uh, you know, idea to the client rather than say, okay, let now go through the funnel and then only what goes comes out of the funnel will take to the client. So that's not how we did. Mm. So that was one. The other thing was that I, I told everybody right from the beginning, and this is something that I've learned the hard way. It's much more important to listen than to speak. Correct. So, so listen to the client, ask the client for stories, right? And identify what is it that will actually solve his, even if it's a small problem, mm -hmm. if it solves a pain point or makes the him feel happy, 
then pick that up and think of what you can do around that using mm. design and technology. So that was the idea. Fascinating. So I, I wouldn't take any credit uh, for all the portfolio items. I think that's full credit to the entire team, actually. I agree completely. Thank you. And, you know, uh, I think it would be fair of me to refer to you as a modern-day Howard Roark from Ayn Rand. Uh, but how do you see uh, design evolving? Or how have you seen design evolving over the past few decades? And how do you predict What's going to happen in design consulting? I'm very scared of predicting anything because, you know, I'm not scared to be wrong, mm -hmm. but I'm scared to predict anything because uh, it needs a lot of, uh, lots of knowledge and many points that you need to connect. Correct. But, but okay, let's, let's look at what's happening today, right? Mm -hmm. Just uh, end of November, beginning December, end of November, I think, chat GPT came out into the market. Right? And it's created such a furore everywhere. And everybody is now thinking of chat GPT as being AI. Mm. That's a that's a funny thing, right? And I think this is what happens when any change happens in the, in the world. Because, because the amygdala, the human uh, brain, that amygdala fight or flight mm. response uh, hormones that uh, get secreted, they were designed more for uh, survival. So uh, my friend Salim always says, you know, that in the hunter-gatherer days, if you were out in the open hunting and gathering, mm -hmm. you were more concerned of the fact that you didn't uh, get killed by something if there was a rustling in the bushes mm -hmm. than run after a fruit. So the fruit would just satisfy your needs, but the, the other one would kill you. You know. Mm -hmm. So apparently that's exactly what happens. That's why bad news is good business these days. Mm -hmm. right? So, um, so look at AI as one of the pieces. But AI is a subset. In fact, it's one of the exponential technologies. So... Exponentiality is another very interesting thing that one needs to keep in mind. Hmm. Uh, the other one is just before the AI uh, took got the fancy of the world, hmm. there was something called digital transformation, right? That had become very fancy for the last four or five years. It was all about digital transformation hmm. and how digital transformation is less about technology and more about behavior and hmm. everyone needs to digitally transform. Hmm. Now, if you look at it, look at design in both these places, for example. Right. What? How do you look at designing stuff in the future? How do you look at leveraging AI to be able to do design rather than run away from it and say, oh, you know what? It's taking away. I'm an artist and Mid Journey has taken away my uh, job hmm. or Dali is taking away my job. Right. Is that the way you want to look at it or is the way you want to look at it as AI is now going to be able to do things that a human being cannot do? Mm -hmm. And by the way, if I'm very careful and very a little bit more calm and not reactive mm -hmm. i will see that there are things that i can do mm -hmm. that an ai can never do right right mm -hmm. and so they they're now talking about the concept of a co-pilot and whatever it is so mm -hmm. how can designers actually leverage technology exponential technology specifically mm -hmm. half the world doesn't even know what exponential technologies are Right. So one segue into this is that how do you get to know yourself to be comfortable and calm rather than reactive in the world, mm -hmm. right? Which is what that yoga piece is coming in in the. Uh, so yoga is like yeah. it's, it's a it's a lead into uh, spirituality or understanding of yourself, and AI is a lead into uh, exponential technologies. That's mm -hmm. the way I explain it. Mm -hmm. So uh, the direction of design, what I think is going to happen is that designers may have. Um, actually a lead role to play 
-hmm. in being able to do to communicate and articulate what I'm articulating today, mm -hmm. you know. But the difficulty, I think, and I think what I would propose or what I recommend to most designers is try to get out of your own way. Mm -hmm. Right? Because I think designers have stood in their own way for design not to have got uh, its due in mm -hmm. the past, mm -hmm. according to me. And now's the time when they can actually come up to speed and actually talk about and uh, explain to the world how you can actually leverage these technologies rather than run away from them. Mm. So I don't know if you know this, but there was a very famous uh, designer. I don't know if he was an industrial designer called uh, Raymond Loewy. Mm -hmm. And he famously said, design is too important to be left to designers. <laughs> okay. So I think that, that that's a very, very nice line for designers to use. And that, I think, is the direction that design can take. Obviously. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. So, uh, Sunil, I have time for only one more question for you. And uh, that is that I've spoken to many people in, who are designers, who are architects. And I've often asked them this question, and I'm going to ask you the same. How do you manage the balance between creativity and practicality when it comes to uh, building solutions for clients? See, this is where I think we should look at design thinking a little bit more uh, rationally. Till, till now, see, what has happened is design thinking has gone through three or four waves, mm. starting in the early 2000s. Right. Uh, and then uh, getting getting to uh, becoming quite a fashionable term in, the, in 2005, 2006, then going all the way down, right. again, resurfacing in 2011 then going all the way down again. And I think this is about the time that design thinking can come into. So look at design thinking. And I, I think that actually answers the question of the balance between creativity and practicality. Hmm. Uh, most people are, uh, they, don't un they don't look at things at a systemic or a holistic level. Hmm. And it's difficult to do because education has not given us that uh, paradigm hmm. to look at. Hmm. And as a result, what happens is that when we hear the word design, we get we find our own. It's like the six blind men and the elephant, right? We have our own understanding. Someone says, oh, it's about art. Someone says it's art and aesthetics. Another person says it's UI, UX, right? So it's user experience or ergonomics kind of a thing. Someone else says, well, it has to do the job and it has to be safe. Someone says, no, it needs to be durable, right? So everyone has a different uh take on design and a different expectation from design. Mm. This is the problem. Mm. And when design thinking came in, it kind of made it look like design thinking, The guy, what you guys teach us is exactly is common sense. Mm. And I often used to ask my uh, cohorts, if it is common sense, then why isn't it so common? Mm. When I tell you this, you think it is common sense, but you don't think, uh, you, it's not so common when you see it in your own world. Mm. So what I started telling them was design thinking is not design. Mm. First of all, let's understand that. It's not design. Mm. It's the way you can think like a designer for a, solving a business problem. Mm. So that's one placeholder. The second placeholder is that as long as the internet and information technology has not had not happened, mm. we had only two lenses through which to look at products, services, anything we put it out into the market. Right. One was the feasibility lens. The other was the viability lens. The feasibility mm. lens is, can it be made? Mm. Viability lens is, can it make money? Mm. These were the only two. 
Correct. So if you had money, you could buy the technology. If you had the technology, you could go out and look for investment. Mm. But at the end of the day, whatever you created was only an inside-out approach. Mm. Right? That I think this will work. An MBA will teach you this. A business school will teach you viability. Mm. An engineering school will teach you feasibility. Mm. feasibility. Mm. But nobody taught you that there is a customer at the other end. Correct. Although you would always design for the customer, but you never knew. Till you put something out into the market, mm. whether that was something that anybody wanted. Hmm. Now, with the big shift that has happened is that today, technology has made data information, the big data game hmm. is very, very, very accessible, very cheap. Hmm. So what you could do is use design thinking to align the two and use design mm -hmm. to design your value proposition, not hmm. a product, just hmm. design your value proposition. So that's a completely different, I mean, I can yeah. go on for two days telling you yeah. what this is about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the thinking is the lens. We call it the magic lenses. We mm. say the desirability lens. So feasibility, viability, and desirability. Mm. And the balance that you're talking about happens right in the middle mm. because that's how it gives you the product market fit. Mm. The, there's a misalignment between the data to get from the market and what you think is going to go into the market. Mm. And we have techniques for it. In fact, you can see one of these tools is right behind me here. Right, right. Very, very interesting. So Neil, I could keep talking to you for, I think, at least another half an hour, but we've run out of time. But I really want Never to... Never give speak. me that opportunity. No. Never give me the opportunity. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much for talking to me about your journey. I love the way you uh, dissected Nowhere Guy to now here. I think uh, that's a new perspective I have learned from you. It was so evident and yet I didn't uh, see it whenever we spoke of nowhere. Thank you so much for talking about uh, uh, how you, for a long time you have believed India will define the future of the world. And uh, I would only say that I am like you, a very, very big believer since the early uh, 90s on exactly the same thing. Thank you for talking to me about Idea Farms and so many different aspects of designing. Thank you for speaking to me and good luck to you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.